How many of you would agree that there is nowhere in the world that knows how to throw a party like New Orleans? Come on, somebody. I mean, we are notorious in New Orleans for throwing the best parties anywhere on the planet. And I didn't realize, you see, I, my, my family, we moved down uh, to New Orleans area about eight years ago from the Midwest. And here, here's something I never knew. Halloween in the Midwest was like no big deal. Halloween here is like a big deal. Like two years ago, we went to a Halloween party and it was incredible. We went with uh, Ben and Shelly. It was one of their neighbors uh, just right, right around the corner here. And I'm telling you, this Halloween party was like ridiculous. Like they had open uh, buffet. They had like uh, bounce houses for the kids. Like everybody was having a good time. And afterwards I left and I thought, man, they spent some money on a Halloween party. Like for real. Like there were like 100 people there. And it was Halloween. I was like blown away by it. And, uh, you know, there's a big difference between a good party and a lame party. Has anyone ever been to a lame party? Come on. Like they ran out of food. It wasn't what they promised it to be. Like they promised you that they were going to have a band there. And then you got there and you found out it was like two of their family members that like kind of played instruments or something like that. Right? And isn't it, it's funny how our idea of a good party kind of changes over time. Like I was thinking about this back in fifth grade when we really used to party. In my day, back in the late 80s. All you needed for a good party was like some rock ballads. Come on, like some Cinderella or some Bon Jovi. And like some, yeah, I know I dated myself there. But look, that's all it took to have a good party. You needed the rock ballads and you needed some good food. And that's all it took. But over the course of time, my idea of a good party now is like uh, television, couch, my wife, Friday night, just chilling. Like that's my idea of a good party nowadays. But uh, as a parent, one of, the, one of the things that if you're not a parent or maybe one day you will be, one of the things that you'll encounter, one of the worst party scenarios, I think, is kids' birthday parties. And some of y'all have heard me say this before. In fact, I, now, I'm, I'm going to be real, okay? And some of you are going to like, think this is terrible. My wife and I like, sometimes will like, fight over who has to take the kids to the birthday party, right? Because kids' birthday parties, it's like... Once you get into the birthday party circuit, you can't get out of it because then you get more invites and more invites. And look, I don't really love kids' birthday parties to the point that I don't even, we don't have birthday parties for our kids, really. And here's why. I, if I don't invite you, then I don't feel obligated to go to your kids' birthday party. Now, it's a little bit different with, uh, you know, my responsibilities as a pastor. I will be at your kids' birthday party if you invite me, and I will smile. But the truth is, my middle son has a birthday tomorrow, and he doesn't have a party. Like, the party is just our family, like, hanging out. But the, the story that we're going to read uh, today in the book of Luke, chapter 14, kind of hits on this idea that if you ever have had a birthday party for your kids, uh, kind of the nightmare scenario is that you invite a bunch of people, and then you're waiting on people to show up, and uh, nobody's showing up. And you're like, oh my goodness, is my, is my child going to be scarred by this birthday party where nobody comes to their party? It's supposed to be their birthday. It's supposed to be fun. Nobody's showing up. And that's kind of the party scenario uh, that Jesus is talking about here in Luke chapter 14. Today, we're going to read 
from the NIV. It's going to be on the screen. It's also in your notes. This is Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 23. And we're going to kind of just break it up bit by bit today. Let's look at it here. Luke chapter 14, 12 through 23. Jesus is at a party. And it says that he said to the host of the party. Okay. So a little bit of background. He's at this party. It's being hosted by one of the Pharisees, one of the religious leaders. And how many of you know, like when you read the gospel, sometimes you see that Jesus had a way to make things awkward sometimes and like it with purpose. He made things awkward with purpose at times. And that's what happens here. And he address, first he addresses the guests at the party and he's kind of giving them some directions about how you should act at the party. Like Jesus knew party etiquette, y'all. Who knew? But then he talks to the host and he addresses the host and he's giving the host of the party these instructions. And this is what he says. He says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives. Well, come on, somebody, don't invite your relatives or your rich neighbors. I don't have any of those. But if you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. I think that's like the whole kid's birthday circuit thing he's talking about there. Verse 13. Instead, when you give a banquet, listen now, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. How many of you know Jesus came for the sick? And you will be blessed. In other words, he says, don't just invite the people that can do something for you. Instead, go out and invite the people that you can get nothing in return. And he continues, he says this, You will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So we paint the picture here. This is like a lit party, y'all. It is the, the, the uh, prominent religious people. It's the who's who in the city at the time and it's this fancy nice party and all of a sudden Jesus calls out the host of this fancy party and he says you know what I don't think your party's all that actually because all you did was invite all of the people that could do something in return for you later on they could repay you later on and in fact you probably should have invited a completely different crowd today and so Jesus makes this awkward moment happen in this party. He creates a tension in the room. Everybody's laughing, having a good time. And all of a sudden, Jesus says to the host, you know, what you should have done instead was invite the lame, the crippled, the blind. And then have you ever known somebody where there's like a tense moment and they're the person that wants to help relieve the tension? Anyone ever known that person like, hey, we're all we're all good here. Like, hey, we're friends. We're laughing. We're having a good time. Well, that guy was actually at the party that day in verse 15. He says, it says one of those at the table with him heard this and he said to Jesus, this guy's like trying to correct Jesus or something. He said, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying Jesus, it's all good, right? We're all, we're all good Jewish guys. We're all having a good time. We're all eating at the Lord's table. Everything's fine. And Jesus, instead of backing off, what does he do? He doubles down. 
He, he doesn't just back off and say, oh, you're right, everything's good. He shouldn't have invited the poor and the lame. No, he doubles down. And he says this. He says this, verse 16. Jesus replied, this is a parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. And so Jesus begins to tell this parable about a, a great banquet, a great party. And he, he talks about how the, the host of the party sent his servant to go out and tell everybody, yo, now is the time. The party is ready. And what we've got to understand here is that in that time, it wasn't just as simple as uh, calling a caterer, having the food brought in, calling the bounce house people, having them deliver the bounce house, like making your Sam's Club run. It wasn't like that, right? Like you couldn't just throw the burgers on the grill. You had to actually go kill the cow, right? And so the parties were a little bit different back then. And the, the fact is that the invite was actually a two-step process. So if, if you were inviting someone to the party, you would first of all say, hey, having a party next week, you're invited, right? And, uh, but, you know, the timeline may vary a little bit depending on the preparation. And so the first step was the invite, but then the second step is what we see here where he sends the servant out and he says, go tell everybody, now's the time, party's ready, right? Come on in, come on over, it's ready, right? And so that's what we see Jesus describing here. And then in verse 18, he goes on to say this. But they all alike began to make excuses. Talking about the people who had been invited. They began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. How many of you have ever tried to think of a good excuse not to go to a party? Come on, these aren't it. These are not the ones, okay? How many of you have ever heard someone else's excuse and you're like, lame, not real, you could have come, right? Well, look, these guys start to give excuses. And Jesus is uh, describing these different excuses. And really, when you look beneath the surface, they're pretty absurd excuses. The first one said, I just bought a field and I must go see it. Well, I don't know about you, but I, I probably wouldn't buy something property-wise without looking at it first. You know, that's pretty risky, okay? And it's nighttime, right? It's nighttime at the party. And so who's going to go look out at the new property they purchased at night? Lame, lame excuse, okay? Second one, he, uh, the person said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. That's five pairs of oxen, so it's ten oxen. Now, here's the deal. Uh, an oxen back then would have had a lot of value, right? So this is like somebody saying, I just bought like a whole fleet of F-150 pickup trucks, right? It's like, no, 10 oxen is a lot. Like that's a lot of, of animal. That's a lot of investment. And so he's saying, I, I just bought all these oxen and, you know, I, I can't just, I can't go because I've got to go test drive the oxen, right? And, and so that's the second excuse. The last, last one might be the funniest of all. He said, I just got married, so I can't come. How many of y'all have been married? How many of y'all were broke when you got married? 
How many of you think you would have taken somebody up on a free dinner date when you were a newlywed, right? This is like a free dinner that he could have, the, this new couple, newly married couple could have went to. And so Jesus is running through all of these excuses that were happening at the time in this parable. And so how many of you know, like if you were preparing the party, and you had like the chips and the guacamole and the sweet tea and the bounce houses and like all the stuff ready. And then all of a sudden nobody's showing up. You feel pretty frustrated, right? That'd be uh, something that might make us uh, frustrated or angry. And so we see in verse 21, it says the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry. Why was he angry? Because he had the party ready and nobody was coming. You can't have a party without people. And so, he, you know, he's angry for a few reasons. First of all, they're making really silly excuses. But second of all, he's got all the food ready. He's got the meal. He's got the tables, the, the food, check. Tables and chairs, check. Uh, the, the house is clean, check. The bounce house, check. Uh, all the ice cream in the freezer, check. He's got everything ready, but the people aren't coming. And so if that's us, if we have a party and everything's ready and nobody's showing up, we have two options, really. Option one, can the whole thing, all your food goes to waste, you wasted all your money, you wasted all your time, scrap it, forget about the party. Or option two, you invite new people, right? Or you invite more people to come. Are you all with me? Say yeah. So that's what we see that this, this king does. He invites more people. He says to his servant, verse 21. Uh, verse 21, the servant came back and, and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out, what's that word? Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. In other words, he says, go get some people because we've got a party ready and nobody's here. Can I tell you, we need to go get some people and bring them because God has laid out a banquet table for them. And we need to grab them from the, the alleys and the backways, the blind, the crippled, the lame, the beggar. Because they need hope, and it's our job to bring them to the one that can give them hope. Amen? Can I tell you, God didn't clean you up just so that you could be on the path to heaven. He cleans us up so that we can pull people out of the fire and bring them with us. How, how heartless would it be for us to know about the best party of all time with open invites to everybody? There's room in heaven, y'all. Hello? There is room in heaven. We know about the best party ever and the best host ever. Guess what? Jesus is going to be at the party. And there's room at the table. And we have an incredible opportunity to go out and grab the least of these. The blind, the lame, the beggar, the cripple. And bring them with us. God set us free so that we could live on mission. So that we could live missionally. So that we could tell people the good news. And so the, the master says, go get some people. And he gets very specific. He says, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. 
Now in Jesus' day, this was describing a very physical characteristic of people. In our day, there, can I tell you there are people that are poor, that on the surface they don't look poor. There are people with a lot of money that are poor in spirit. They're broken, they're depressed. They, it looks like they have everything, they have nothing, they're empty, right? There are people that are crippled, they're hurt from their past. Maybe a painful divorce, maybe addiction, maybe uh, it could be maybe a, a church uh, a church hurt from their past where they were in church and maybe they were hurt by something that happened. They're crippled and it's harder to see. They're blind, not blind physically, but blind to the love of God, the mercy of God, the, the, the favor of God that they could have. They're blind to God's plan for their lives. They're lame. They're walking through life with a limp because of bad choices that they've made. Amen? There are people like this, can I tell you, they're not hard to find. We just have to have our eyes open. They're all around us. And it's not just physical brokenness that Jesus is talking about here. It's emotional and spiritual brokenness. And he says, go out and get those people. Go out and let them know about the party. He says, if they're an alcoholic, bring them. If they're a drug addict, bring them. Hello? If they've had a painful divorce, bring them. If they've, if they've had a painful custody battle in their life, bring them. If they're happy, bring them. If they're sad, bring them. Depressed, bring them. Discouraged, bring them. Physical pain, bring them. Spiritual, emotional turmoil, bring them. Financial pain, bring them. Looks like they have it all put together. Bring them. Looks like they're completely broken apart. Bring them. He said, go and bring everybody you can. And see, what happens is Jesus uses parables to describe, really, uh, to use a physical description to describe a spiritual principle. And what he's saying is there's room in heaven. He's not just talking about a party. He's talking about the greatest party ever in heaven with Jesus. And he says, go grab everyone you know and bring them to the party. Everyone. They all need to come. Bring them. And he says, don't just do it, but do it quickly. He says, do it quickly. There's an urgency that's attached to this. Come on, y'all. There are people every day. Tragedy happens. Tragedy strikes. We, look, I remember, I remember uh, when I was in my 20s, I was working at a restaurant. I was at uh, waited tables. And I remember it was like a hard workplace. I was like probably one of the only Christians there. And really, I'll be honest, my faith and my workplace were a little bit separated. I didn't really talk about my faith much in my workplace. People knew I was a Christian. But honestly, I was more focused on work than the souls of the people that I worked with. And I remember this young lady named Cassie. She was 18 or 19 years old. I worked with her all of the time. We, we waited tables together. I had conversations with her, never of any real value or significance. She died, tragically. Her, her vehicle got hit by a train. Can I tell you what I felt? Regret. 
regret because I didn't, I didn't ever take the initiative. I didn't ever step out of my comfort zone. I was too busy working. But her eternity was at stake, and I, I didn't have urgency. I want to live with an urgency for my neighbors, for the people that I meet, for all of us in this room. We've got to have an urgency that says there's a party in heaven. People don't know about it. They feel hopeless and broken. They need Jesus. I'm going to say something. I've got to say something. We've got to be compelled to say something. Verse 22, it says this. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Can I tell you that the church is an extension of heaven and that if there's room in heaven, then we've got to make room here for the people in our community that need Christ. Can I tell you there are a lot of, a lot of empty churches in our city today? That there are a lot of people not in church this morning, but they're at home relaxing? Because it is on us, the church, to take the responsibility to say, look, I care enough about you to say what needs to be said. And doing it in love, right? Not doing it in a condemning way, but saying, hey, I've discovered the hope of Jesus. You can have it too. Why? And look, sometimes it doesn't mean just inviting them to church. Sometimes you even get the opportunity to lead someone directly to Jesus yourself. Come on, how many of y'all have experienced that? How many of y'all want to experience that more? But it doesn't happen unless we're willing to take responsibility and also take a chance to say something. And, and so he says there's still empty seats. There's still room. And that's really how the kingdom of heaven works. There's an unlimited capacity for people to fill the banquet table. God's party always has room for more. Amen? If you're with me, say yeah. Say it like me and say yeah. yeah. Verse 23, yeah, I like that. When the master told his servant, then the master told his servant, so they went out once, they brought some people in, still room, go out to the roads and the country lanes, and what's that word? Compel them to come in. Compel them so that my house will be full. Go back and get more people. Why? There's still room at the party. And he uses this word compel. And what it means is to force or oblige someone to do something. Now, what I'm not saying is go like take people hostage, bring them to church next week. Look for a spin of the wheel. Maybe you might. Okay, but don't. it's not saying take people hostage. It's saying you've got to give them a good reason. Hello? You've got to be able to share your faith in a way that is compelling. You've got to be able to, and look, you don't need to know the whole Bible to do it. All you need to know is your story. What has God done in your life? Compel them. Talk them into coming to the party. How many of you know some parties are easy to sell? I believe that God's party is an easy party to sell. All you have to do is talk about the goodness of God, the love of God, the grace of God, what he's done in your life, and they will be compelled to come to the party. Sometimes it means give them a ride. Sometimes it means call them when you don't want to. Look, can I tell you the night before we launched this church in April, I walked down the street to two neighbors' houses. I felt led by the Holy Spirit to do it. I didn't really want to. I had other things to do that night. 
Can I tell you that one of those families has come many times over these first few months, and I'm believing that the other family's coming next week for one day. They're one of the four or five families that Laura and I are personally inviting. We've got to compel people. We've got to tell them why they should come. Because they're asking that question, why? Why should I come? Why, what, what, what benefit is there to me? Right? That's the question they're asking. We've got to be able to answer that question. And here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Where will the people that I love spend eternity? And that's a hard question. When I think about my siblings that aren't following Christ, it's painful. But we've got we've to come face to face with that question. Because too often we get caught up in the temporary and we lose sight of the big picture of eternity. And the reality is, people for eternity will either spend eternity at a party in heaven. Come on, it's going to be a good party. Or an eternity separated from God in hell. And that is the reality. And the truth is that Jesus gave his life so that they could have access to the party. That through Jesus' blood, we have access to heaven. But people need to know. And they need to know, can I tell you? They need to know how it's affected you personally. Is there anybody that's been redeemed? Anybody that's been set free? Anybody that's experienced the peace of God in their life? Man, we've got to share that with other people that need that. They need that. The lame, the crippled, the beggars, the blind, the broken. Listen to how it says it in the message version. Verse 23. The master said, Then go to the country roads. Whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. Can I tell you, we're not talking about this house of worship. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven. And the master said, drag them in. In other words, do whatever you have to do to get them in. Here, at the banquet, Jesus said, go out to the roads, to the country. If you live in Harvey, compel them. If you live in Marrero, compel them. If you live in West Wego, compel them. If you live in Terrytown, compel them. If you live in Gretna, compel them. If you live in Algiers, compel them. If you live across the river, compel them. If you live in Aurora, compel them. If you live at Algiers Point, compel them. If you live at Huntley Village, compel them. If you live in Bocage, compel them. Wherever that is, go to the country lanes, he said, and drag them in. I would that we would be a church that would drag people in. And, and tell people about the party that is going to happen in heaven that can change their lives. The greatest host of any party ever, Jesus. Don't miss this. The instructions of the queen, king very quickly. I said queen, king, quickly. Go quickly. Go everywhere. Compel them to come. Urgency. Go quickly everywhere, to the ends of the earth, to the least of these, to the places that maybe you, you don't feel safe or comfortable. Compel them. 
Compel them to come. Compel them. Do you know the thing that keeps us from compelling them is the same thing that we saw in the parable where they started to make excuses? Just got married. Can't can't compel anybody right now. Just bought all these oxen. Can't compel anybody right now. Just bought this land. I can't compel anybody right now. Notice that all of those excuses are centered upon ourselves. And the reality is that's oftentimes what keeps us from looking at the needs of others, seeing that at at the core, the needs that we see around us are spiritual. What manifests as physical is actually spiritual beneath the surface. And knowing that we have the solution for the problem. Hello? Are you all with me this morning? What we do is we, we make excuses like, I, I just don't have enough time to compel them. You know, I'm pretty busy. Uh, got, you know, my kids' sports going on and school and work and, uh, you know, just all the things. I'm, I'm a little too busy to compel them. Can I tell you that compelling people to Jesus isn't something that you have to add into your schedule? It should just be a natural part of what you do, where you go. All it really takes is for us to be intentional. And I can tell you, for instance, uh, our, our kids play soccer. We have an opportunity with those soccer families to be intentional, to share what God has done in our lives, to share who God is in our lives. So I'm not asking you to add something else into your schedule. I'm asking us to be intentional wherever we're at. Hello? To realize that, man, Jesus has given us, like, the greatest mission of all time. Anybody like, like, James Bond movies or Mission Impossible? Man, I love those movies. Right? Look, we have the best mission ever. And we are, like, 007 for real. But we've got to live on mission. We say things like, ah, it's just not the right time. Not really the right time. I haven't had the right opportunity. And then remember the story of my, my coworker, Cassie. Things like that happen. Where you, you feel like, man, I just didn't have the right time. But then when is the right time? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. How long, how long do we have to wait before it's the right time? Sometimes we have to kick the door open and make it the right time. We got to drag people. We got to compel people. We got to tell people. We say things like, I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't really, I don't know the Bible that good. You don't have to. Do you know your story? Do you know what God's done in your life? Because if you know that, that's enough. And also, there's this thing called Google. And if people are asking you hard questions about the Bible, I promise you, you can Google it and there will be scriptures that pop up. You don't have to know the Bible inside out to compel people. You might say things like this. What if my life's not good enough to tell other people? Like, I don't really measure up. I'm still not living the way that I know that I need to. I would say two things. One, let's work on that. Let's, let's bring the alignment between your life and, and your beliefs closer together. But then two, how many of you know the disciples were pretty jacked up? 
Peter denied Christ. Thomas was full of doubt. James and John wanted to call fire down on people because they wouldn't give them a place to stay or something. Right? The disciples were just regular guys. But God used them to start the entire movement of Christianity. God, you, if you don't feel like you're good enough to be used by God, can I tell you you're exactly where you need to be to be used by God? What about this? What if they think I'm weird? Yeah, they might. Are we going to worry more about what other people think or the approval of God in heaven? We don't, also, like, don't be weird. Don't say weird Christian things. Like, can we just be real with people? Like, don't, don't go into some dialogue about, blessed is the name of the Lord. Like, let's be real with people, right? We don't have to put on a front to reach people. We can be real and authentic, and actually, that's what people want. Or we say, ah, it's just not my personality. It's like for the pastor to do, or those leaders. Can I tell you that God uses all kinds and that there are people that you have influence with that I've never met. And before they can ever come and listen to me, they've got to hear from you. Hello? Don't shout me down now. Before they can come into this place and hear from the word of God, they need to hear from you what God has done in your life. And God has placed people in your sphere of influence that you have the opportunity to impact. That I'll never be able to reach without you doing your part, compelling them. If you would, please stand to your feet this morning. I want to close by saying this. You have, listen, listen now, you have the ability not just to change somebody's life, but to change all of eternity by leading them to Jesus, leading them to the greatest party ever. So I want to challenge us with this. Let's not allow our excuses to hold us back from bringing people to the party. Amen. If you would, bow your, bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. Jesus, we're just so thankful that you, you came for us when we were broken. God, that you loved us before we loved you. That we can love you because you loved us first. God, I pray that you would stir our hearts, God, to compel others. God, to reach our community, God, with the hope of Jesus. Lord, to bring people in, God. Lord, to be able to share our faith, God. And, and Lord, I pray that you would empower us with the Holy Spirit, God, to impact the lives of others. Jesus, we need your help. God, help us not to make excuses. Lord, help us not to uh, just, uh, Lord, be held back by our own comfort. But God, I pray that we'd be willing to step out of our comfort zone, God, to reach others, to impact others, God, to lead others to you, Lord. 